Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And I was going to start this podcast by saying it's party time in North London and talking <laughs> about Arsenal's deadline day signing of Thomas Party, as well as Arsenal and Tottenham's uh, penalty shootout triumphs in the Carabao Cup and Tottenham's demolition of Manchester United at Old Trafford. But I think there's only one place we can start based on events over the past few days. It's a story <laughs> on everyone's lips. And that is Gunasaurus and Meza Ozil stepping up to pay the wages after this beloved staff member was made redundant. Jason, as an Arsenal fan, how do you feel about this story? It's funny you were going to start this podcast with uh, saying we're going to have a party because I was going to start it with can I just bail on this on this whole uh, on this whole chat. Um, I've got two minds about it. On my pragmatic business side mind, just looking at forget Meza Urza for a second, looking at the redundancy. Yes, on a PR marketing level, they could have done it in a different way. But the job of this man is redundant. Like in complete other industries, if there's no need for that job anymore, it doesn't make financial sense, it doesn't make logistic sense, the furlough scheme is basically over, then it was the right decision. Now, in the context of a football club, with all the money that's going around, obviously it's ridiculous now that that's covered we go to Meza Ozil now at first when I saw I said well that's a nice gesture isn't it it's a good uh, it's a good deed then it felt odd to me it felt a bit like it was it was a bit condescending in a way thinking about how much he earns um it also felt like a dig at Arsenal considering he hasn't spoken for ages and then suddenly he's doing that and Inadvertently, he is basically questioning the club's judgment through that, uh, metaphorically as well. And also, someone made a very good point that if Meza really cared about this and the redundancies and, and people and their salaries and it, you know, being just a drop in the water compared to the football players' salaries, then why didn't he take his pocket out when the 55 were made redundant? I won't, I'm not sure on their roles, but, you know, if there was someone in marketing who's made... Ozil's brand, lots of money. Why is he not um, bailing him out? You know, I'm sure someone's annual salary, one of those 55s, is probably a week's salary for, not even a week's salary for Meza Ozil. So, listen, I don't know what his intentions are and I'm not going to speculate. Um, I'd like to think that it's good natured and, and um, you know, that it, that it can happen. Um if the club really feel it's a, it's a big expense, but but I I I seen that the club have even said he'll come back when when the fans are allowed back and when the job is available. Whether they give it to this man, I don't know, or they they go with a new mascot. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a story that seems to be dividing people. I was listening to Talk Sport today. Simon Jordan kind of went with that attitude of come on, really, and Dion Dublin was like, no, 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 he's he's being very genuine. I don't know. I just think whatever it is could have been done in private because I believe that good deeds most of the time are private deeds. Um, you don't need to flaunt to the world before you've done something, especially because it feels like you need that approval. Um, but let's be honest, on the complete footballing side, Mesut Ozil, I'd be shocked if he ever gets another game for this club. And if it does, it would be in a 
it would be in a Europa League game away to an island fifth tier team. I mean, I think he's done. He knows he's done. And um, and this just feels like a like a PR stunt that I don't think is going to pay off for him. And when he leaves in the summer, good riddance. And has all this off-the-pitch stuff affected Arsenal fans' relationship with the club? Because obviously you, you mentioned it there. Before this, there was the, the 55 non-playing staff made redundant at the same time as Willian and Aubameyang are getting these big contracts. And on deadline day, the, the Gunasaurus news coming out the same day you're spending 50 million on Thomas Party. I mean, how much does that discrepancy bother the Arsenal fans and has it affected people's feelings towards the, the team on the pitch or does it seem like you're able to kind of compartmentalise those two things and as you were saying kind of rationalise the business decisions in a kind of cold business way and enjoy the team separately or is there an overlap for you kind of emotionally between the two? I think there are a couple of things going on here I mean when I, it depends on the person a lot of fans are getting very emotional about it I've always had that kind of pragmatic sense of being able to say I can detach it. There's a business side and I get it. And um, and the playing side, I enjoy it when we're doing well. I don't enjoy it when we're doing well. I think when it starts to become a bit frustrating is when you see someone like Meza Ozil with his terrible attitude, allegedly, and the money he's doing. And that money could have kept all these people in jobs who really need those jobs. Um, that's where it sits badly with me. But the market is the market. It's not just us. I have to reiterate that. I believe there's transparency for the club. I'm not, I cannot believe that the other 19 Premier League clubs have not done something similar, um, but hidden it better, to be honest. But no, it doesn't, for me, I, I, I'm focused on Arteta and I focus on, on the players. But when the players perform badly, yeah, you start to think, well, hold on, I'd rather have X, Y, Z than what you're contributing um, coming off the bench or, or on the bench or, or not performing in the 90 minutes. But I think you've got to look at this separately because, again, the context of football is that it's it's there are things underpinning it. But at the end of the day, and I always say this when people blame the owners and say it's that manager who's coaching them and those players who are there 90 minutes and everything else is is noise. Whether it's good or bad noise um, is a different story. But, um, yeah, I'm sitting a bit on the fence with this one because I think it's really sensitive to a lot of people. But I do believe that it's... It's an issue that not everyone understands. Um, and there are more things going on behind the the scenes when we realise. And I think uh, even when you see that Amazon documentary at Spurs, and even though they're, they're touching on less, um, in, um, less serious topics, you still see there are things behind the scenes that you just don't know um, go on. And that's just on a, you know, in, in various incidents, let alone in long term scenarios um, uh, with legal red tape going on as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all, that's all I can really say on the topic. I think it's uh, it's completely separate. We're not going to be the first. We won't be the last. Um, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And uh, so going back to stuff on the pitch, I'm curious whether now, obviously you, you beat Liverpool in the Carabao Cup on penalties, but you lost to them in the league. And given what happened when Liverpool played Aston Villa, do you look back at that that Liverpool result now with with a bit of regret? And when you see how many goals other teams are putting away in the league, whereas you kind of scraped to those victories against West Ham and Sheffield United, you know, three wins out of four, can't argue with that, nine points on the board. But when you look at the, the firepower that other teams have, such as Tottenham, for example, um, are you now a little bit worried about 
Arsenal and whether they can compete with some of the other clubs or are you still very, very happy with the, the progress Arteta's mm-hmm. made? I'm a little bit concerned about the style of play and the effectiveness because this, is, remember, is exactly how he started under Unai Emery when he went on that 23-game, I think it was, unbeaten run. We all got excited, but we had played terribly, but we were getting the points on the board. Um, so it kind of has echoes of that, although watching Arsenal on the eye is better than it has been. I think it's, I think it's a combination of things. I think you've got some players, you haven't got a settled starting eleven. Um, so players are really unable to get the momentum. Aubameyang is going through a dry patch, dry patch, but you know other players should be able to compensate for that, and they they seem to have. You know, Lacazette really has stepped up. Um, it's nice to see Pepe get on the score sheet the other day. Um, not too much cause for alarm. I think I think all these games are always harder than they look like on paper. Probably the West Ham game, I was very disappointed that we only won 2-1 and we, we left it late. Sheffield United are a good defensive team, regardless of their form this year. In a way, yeah, I think we should have got something out of that Liverpool game based on how we played and how they seem to have played subsequently. So uh, I would say that, that that was an unfortunate one. But listen, if we can get a win somehow against Man City in the next game, all is forgiven in that sense on points averages. Um you know, that penalty shootout against Liverpool, I think, gave us that confidence boost again. You know, even though penalties are lottery, just to be able to say, oh, OK, now now we're uh, now we're talking, now we're fighting again. Um, I think the Europa League games will come in handy as well. Start putting a few goals behind um, some of these lower league teams in Europe and, uh, and, you know, get a bit of the Arteta ball moving. I think now the transfer window is shut, and I know we'll go into that a bit later. Um, I think that... We'll have a settled lineup very soon. Everyone will know where they stand and we'll get to, into some momentum and then we'll be able to judge. But I have a lot of faith that Mikel Arteta is willing to adapt. Whether he goes five at the back, four at the back, you know, uh, uh, dynamic midfield three, a couple of holding midfielders, goes to the front two or goes with some tricky wingers on the wing, on the side rather. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have that faith that if, things go a little bit pear-shaped they will adapt unlike other managers we have in the past um however yeah you're right it is it isn't great it, I, I sat there the other day and said oh I'm not enjoying watching Arsenal and I, I was enjoying Arsenal um so it feels a bit like pre-lockdown again we kind of settled into a sluggish rhythm uh so time will tell and hopefully um you know the trance window the, the late uh, deadline chance for Thomas Party and um Hopefully, even maybe something we can grab from the championship and exciting talent um, just to bolster the squad um, could also be of um, be of interest. And kind of passing on to you, going from kind of underwhelming performances to uh, what I can only describe as shocking from my side, uh, but in the positive sense uh, perceived from you, I think. I mean, tell me about what your feelings have been, considering I, I asked you offline whether you thought uh, Spurs could lose every game last week and that Jose could be sacked to, to whatever's happening now. Yeah, so, I mean, it looked like it was going to be the week from hell that could potentially have ended our season before it began, particularly with how the, the Newcastle game ended, which was the, the first of the four game in, in seven days with that late penalty and handball decision. And that could have really knocked our confidence, knocked our momentum. And, and going into the, the Chelsea game two days later with Mourinho saying that we weren't going to be able to compete and putting out a weakened side. I did start to worry that 
it would be one of those weeks where everything that could go wrong did go wrong and we'd end up out of both cup competitions and not having made a very good start to the league at all. But then even with the second string side against Chelsea, the way we we managed that game to come back and equalise late on and then go and win the penalty shootout, which, I mean, last season we went out of both domestic cup competitions and penalty shootouts uh, to Colchester in the Carabao Cup and to Norwich in the FA Cup. And the season before last, we went out in the Carabao Cup semi-final to Chelsea on penalties. And I think Dyer and Lucas both missed. So penalty pain was very fresh in these players' minds. So for them to go and put five perfect penalties away and win that match, I think showed how far the team had come mentally. And I think it it felt like a, a turning point for the team psychologically, that belief that even when they were playing two games in two days and weren't at our best that we could get a result like that against a team like Chelsea and all of a sudden a cup competition that it looked like we were going to be throwing away is now something that we we have as good a chance as anyone is winning. Then you've got the, the Europa League game on the Thursday night against Maccabi Haifa scoring seven goals which these Europa League qualifiers are kind of thankless tasks in a way because if you do well and, and score that many goals people go oh yeah well it's just it's just Maccabi Haifa it's just Plovdiv it's just whoever but if you don't play well in those games, then you'll still get the criticism. The important thing is just trying to not slip over those banana peels and get into the group stage, which is what we did. And doing it in, in style was just the icing on the cake. Then off the pitch to, to finally sign a striker as well, which has been a, a long-term issue in the squad, meant that going into the United game, I thought, well, whatever happens here, I don't mind because it's been a good week. We've finally signed a striker. We got through to the Europa League group stage. We had that incredible comeback win over Chelsea. So I thought, well, whatever happens in the, in the United game, I'm OK with. Concede a penalty after 30 seconds, you think, OK, <laughs> here we go. We've seen this story a million times before, Spurs away at United. We know what's going to happen here. But then the way we responded was just absolutely ruthless. It was like watching Germany-Brazil in the 2014 World Cup or, or Bayern Munich in last season's Champions League. And having been on the receiving end of one of those Bayern Munich thrashings, it was nice to be the one stitching it out, to be on the other side of a result like that. And I know United are in a bit of a mess at the moment and they played pretty terribly. But even still, United don't normally concede six goals at Old Trafford. I don't think many teams are going to go there this season and and score six goals. I mean, it was their joint heaviest defeat in in Premier League history. And the match a lot of people compared it to is when Manchester City went and beat them 6-1. And it was either that season or the season after when Manchester City then went on to win the title. And that felt like a real statement, result and performance from them. And I, I'm not saying we're going to follow in City's footsteps by any means, but it felt like a real statement, result and performance for Mourinho's Tottenham. Not just because it was against a former club of his, but given the the week as well with, with the four matches in seven days, with all the doubts that had crept in about him after that opening day defeat to Everton. To see us just play in such a, a, a dominant way and to you know to score six goals in that game, seven goals against Maccabi Haifa, five goals against Southampton, and that's all with Gareth Bale still to come. I mean, you look at the strength and depth we've got now, the options, the fact that that United result came with no Bale, Bergvine, Lo Celso or, or Carlos Vinicius even in the squad. The fact that we can leave someone like Deli Alley out of the matchday squad altogether, so a player who used to be so essential, and now we don't even seem to miss him. The amount of options we've got up front, it's it's mouthwatering. It's incredibly exciting. And, and you know, Mourinho doesn't seem like the, the boring defensive coach anymore. I mean, to be putting this amount of goals away in, in consecutive matches, 
the only kind of worry is whether we're strong enough at, at centre back. And I'm not surprised that we we tried to go in for another centre back on on deadline day. And I do worry whether Dyer and Sanchez really is an elite top level centre back pairing. But then again, you look at how the rest of the league is defending. You look at the goals City and Liverpool are letting in, and you think, well, the whole league's given up on defending at the moment. So. Who cares? It's all about whether you can outscore the opponent. And with, with the attacking players we've got, I'd, I'd back us to, to outscore anyone. And actually, when you look at the goals we've conceded this season, three out of the five, I think, have been penalties, two of them from the new kind of handball rule. So it's not like we're actually conceding that many goals or opportunities from, from open play either. So it's incredibly exciting and it's completely transformed my expectas- expectations for this season. After that opening day defeat to Everton, I thought, Finishing top six would be a real struggle, let alone top four. But now all of a sudden top four seems like the minimum for what people are expecting us to achieve. And just having competition for places again and and options off the bench, you can really see what we've been missing for the past couple of years and how much we're really crying out for reinforcements and a a refresh in the squad. And I mean, Serge Aurier put in probably the best performance I've ever seen from him in a Spurs shirt. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's come about now that he's actually got competition for that right-back slot. The same again with Ben Davies at, at left-back. So, yeah, it's, I, I mean, the fact as well that for the last kind of year, year and a half under Pochettino, we, we'd hardly won a game away from home. I mean, it was relegation form, our away form. And now we're the last two away games in the league. We've scored five goals and, and six goals. It, it, I think you're really starting to see, you mentioned the, the Amazon documentary earlier, all the stuff that Mourinho was kind of talking about in that, in terms of the mentality and the intensity, seems like it's it's finally coming through and there's just a whole new whole new lease of life about the place. And, and even though Bale hasn't touched the ball yet, you wonder how much of that signing and, and the other signings have just lifted the mood around the place. And, and the fact that we've got his homecoming to look forward to after, in, in, after the international break, it makes me feel a little bit less... Um, worried about whether the international break is going to kind of halt this momentum we've all of a sudden got and whether we're going to have players come back injured because even if Kane or comes back injured Son, Bale, Vinicius and Mora are all training at the moment they're not on international duty they're all at the training ground getting to know each other, each other training together so even if the worst happens and Kane gets injured in on England duty we could put Bale, Son and Vinicius up front so all of a sudden all of those issues we used to have with injuries should hopefully no longer be as problematic so yeah I mean I've only got positive things to say at the moment and and you know who knows what might happen for the rest of the season it's such a strange season who knows whether it'll even will it they'll even be able to finish it so I'm just trying to live in the moment and enjoy it and and right now I've just been basking in the the aftermath of that United game watching the highlights enjoying it and can't wait for the the next game although I know that that West Ham will be desperate to uh to burst our bubble and of course they're on a good run of form at the moment but I'm hoping when David Moyes is back from his uh back from his self-isolation that his mere presence will uh make West Ham go on a downturn again and hopefully we can take advantage of that but yeah I mean I don't know what your kind of thoughts on it are from from an outsider's perspective whether it's making you a bit nervous a bit twitchy over at Arsenal or are you kind of just thinking well you know United are a bad team we got lucky on the day and and in the long term, you're you're still not that worried about us. It's funny. I thought I was thinking in my uh, psychological mindset uh, what you were saying about living in the moment. It feels like it's very much uh, mindful supporting for Spurs fans at the moment. I think that that term could catch on for fans. Um, put your phones away and start watching and embracing the uh, embracing the madness. Um, yeah, as an Arsenal fan, this week has been horrible. 
uh, to watch, to be honest. From from you know, on our side, we've done what we had to do, um, and I'm you know really happy about that. But you know, watching that Chelsea game, I thought there's no chance, and you looked good, and you got to penalties. I thought I'm not going to have the mental bottle. They did it, amazing. I thought okay, fine. Europa League, I wasn't, you know, I was more hoping for a uh, for an upset. I thought when I saw that they'd scored a couple, I thought, well, here we go, come on. Um, but I think I, I didn't expect you to thrash them that badly, but it still wasn't the shock result of the century. Um, I think you, um, a lot of other Spurs fans, were very frustrated at the, the coverage of the Man United game. Um especially from the broadcasters, but also kind of the, the tone of how bad United were rather than how good was Spurs. And I think I think you do have to give the acknowledgement United were really bad. I mean, they look they look really bad. Like, I'm shocked that the manager hasn't been sacked yet. Um, I'm not surprised that nobody wants to go to them after that, to be honest. I think they've had a, a dreadful window um, buying a lot of average players, although I, I've always loved Cavani, but I think I don't know if that's going to cut the mustard. Um, I think they're in real trouble and I think they're going to be under new management soon. And I think that's a shame because I think they'll bounce back with a, with a proper manager. But when we turn our attention to Spurs, I mean, that is, I watched a bit and it was an unbelievable result. I mean, classic me, I decided to, to do a little work during the first half of the Tottenham game and during the first half of the Liverpool game <laughs> and missed about like five goals in each. And then I watched the second half and nothing. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. My phone was pinging. I thought, no, 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 I've got to read. Anyway, um, the Spurs game was just unbelievable. It was Son. His pace was just incredible. Harry Kane always, you know, he's he's turned creator in addition to goal scorer. Um, it's just unbelievable. You know, every time you got the ball, I thought you were going to score. And that's, I've never seen a Spurs team like that. Ever, ever, ever. The game before, though, as well, the 5-2 um, the, the against, remind me who it was? Southampton. Southampton, yeah. I thought, what is going on? It just looked so dynamic. It looked like what Arsenal wanted to be in the kind of 07, 07 days, that kind of young, dynamic team Wenger was putting together, the kind of mini Barcelona. And that scares me because something... I, I almost put it back to, if you remember, Euro 2008, or maybe no, World Cup 2010, when, when Switzerland beat Spain and then they went and won the whole thing. And I don't think that's going to happen, but kind of... That Everton loss, nobody really... Pan- it didn't seem like there was much panic. Everyone else outside the Spurs was kind of laughing. But everyone just got back to work. The Newcastle result was a freak because of the VAR rules. But you've done really well. And, and I think that game, you know, is a blueprint for what Spurs want to be. Um, and I, what really scared me was how much depth you still had. You know, obviously you mentioned Bale. Uh, you mentioned your new signing, Vinicius. You, you know, I, I can't remember now who exactly played, but you still have all those options um, at the back as well. Um, you have a experienced keeper ready just in case. I mean, it's it's actually scary how much depth you have in each position. And I, uh, I think the first time I'd probably say that Spurs have the potential in terms of the personnel and the management, whether it comes together or not, I hope not, um, cynically, but it wouldn't surprise me if they if they were up there this year. I I I just you just don't know. Listen, who who knows what's gonna happen with the with the season 
in its structural form, but also you've got lots of four teams on form, unexpected teams. Everton look like a force, although they if they come up against Liverpool, who I think that was an absolute freak the other day. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I still think they probably win the league. Um, well, I've changed my mind on City because I don't know what's going on there. So you just don't know week to week um, what's going to happen. But certainly it's a, it's a good omen. It's a very good week. You should be very proud as Spurs fans. And uh, I, I um, if I wasn't an Arsenal fan, I hope for you that this is the beginning of something great. Um, but I really, ho- I really hope it's not, to be honest. <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to kind of ask you because you mentioned Vinicius there and I haven't personally heard of him beforehand but just as a whole I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the um, the international transfer market that's closed and kind of whether you're you're happy with all that business whether there's something you think you've missed out you mentioned the defence and I, I've always said I don't really get the dire thing um, as a defender he's not a born defender he's, he was a midfielder and I don't know whether that's makeshift Um I always thought Alderweireld was the main one, but Sanchez has come in, and then you let um, you let one. I think it was Foyth you let go um, on loan as well. So I don't know how you feel about everything. For me, from from an outsider perspective, you know, right back is solid now. Left back, I, he looked a bit off pace in that first game, but you know, if you come from Real Madrid, you've got to be half decent. Um, Hoiberg again, good stats. I don't really like him on the eye, but at the same time, Premier League another number and you've got some depth there and and obviously Bale if he performs to peak Bale is uh is game changing um and Vinicius I think might just be a I'm not sure how effective he's going to be but who knows listen it could be a wild card so um from the outside it certainly looks like a decent bit of business for good value as well um but just wondered from your side whether you whether you thought it was uh, a successful window overall yeah I mean I, I think it's the best transfer window we've certainly had in my lifetime. I mean, if you'd said at the start of the window, you'll, you'll sign a striker and you'll bring back Bale, I think those two things alone would have been enough for most Spurs fans to say it was a 10 out of 10 transfer window. Add in the new fullbacks as well, an experienced reserve goalkeeper, a central midfielder. I mean, we've kind of almost signed players in every position. The only thing missing is, as you said, centre-back. And I think that is still an area where we could strengthen. If we had signed a centre-back, then I think it would have been undeniably um, our best window perhaps ever but just purely from fulfilling the dream of bringing back Bale and having another option up front and then also to bring in the fullbacks which was an area last season we knew we really needed to strengthen I mean we pretty much addressed every glaring weakness in the squad and I think we've done it in a very intelligent way as well and it was interesting because there's been a kind of discussion amongst Spurs fans kind of on Twitter and online about you know, is Mourinho getting the sort of backing that Poch should have got or that Poch, you know, never received and, you know, what's going on here? But I think actually what's quite interesting about our signings this summer is despite the number of players who've come in, we haven't actually spent that much money on on transfer fees. I think collectively it only comes to around 50, 60 million, which is how much we spent on one player last summer with Undombele. You know, Joe Hart, free transfer, Bale and Vinicius, both loans, uh, Bale, most of his wages being covered by Real Madrid. Hoiberg was 15 million, but we sold uh, Kyle Walker-Peters to Southampton for 30, uh, for 12 million. So only a 3 million difference there. Doherty, 15 million. Regulon, I think the most, uh, the highest transfer fee, around 27 million. So it's not like it's been splashing the cash and it's all been targeted at areas where we've needed reinforcement. And for the most part, it's all experienced players who 
know the Premier League, who've won stuff. I mean, Hoiberg, like you said, Premier League proven. Same with Doherty, same with Joe Hart. He's won won a title. Um, Gareth Bale, obviously everything he's won at Real Madrid. Regulon, young up and coming, but but won the Europa League with Sevilla. So it's it's bringing that that winning mentality into the dressing room as well as doing it to budget, but also players of, of real quality. So yeah, I really can't fault our transfer window. I think it, it's ticked pretty much every box. And even though centre back hasn't been filled, we've still got four centre backs, five if you include the fact that Ben Davies can play in a back three, he does that for Wales sometimes. And who knows, maybe we sign someone from the championship, we've been linked to a player from Swansea. Or maybe we go back in for Milan Skriniar in January. Who knows? But as I say, when you look at the quality of the rest of the Premier League's defending and the fact that from open play, we actually haven't been too leaky so far, I'm not as worried about the defence. I think the main priorities are always going to be a striker, the fullbacks and midfield. And we completed all of those and brought back Bale, which is just a huge boost for the club and gives us that kind of X factor and that unpredictability up front. So, yeah, 10 out of 10 for me. And I'm wondering for Arsenal how you think about it. I know party was a long-term target and it's a big deal getting him through, but is the fact that it happened on deadline day a bit concerning and are there any areas of the squad you're, you're still a bit worried about? Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting window for Arsenal. And it seemed like uh, lots kind of went over the line that all the Arsenal fans, I think I mentioned on the podcast before, they thought in January, you know, um, Pablo Mari and Cedric are all done, but they seem to be some sort of loan deals that became permanent. So they were, they had the classic uh, like a new signing feel. Um, same kind of thing with Saliba. There was a lot of hype, um, him coming back from loan, and we hadn't seen him play yet, so it was like a new signing. Um, Cedric's been okay, but the other two uh, obviously haven't played. Um, I don't really understand why Mari's there, based on how many centre-backs we seem to have. And Saliba, they've obviously seen something that um, they just doesn't look ready. Um I, I think it's a window of, of, of two areas. I think starting with the negatives, um, losing Martinez for me is is a travesty. And you can see what he's already doing at Villa. He looks like a really good player still. Um, and I just, I know Leno had a great game the other day, but I still watch him and I don't have the confidence I had um, with Martinez in those games. And I still think it's going to haunt us. I think um, this Runnison guy who they've brought in is unproven. I'm, I hope he'll do a good job when he comes in, but I don't know. Uh, I just think it was a real error um, from an emotional point of view. I just think he, he was good enough, but he couldn't get those assurances. And for his sake, it was the best thing to move on. Um, but that for me is the, is the loss of the transfer window for us. Um, I also think not getting rid of um, Mesut Ozil. Um, we, we touched on him earlier, but um, you know, having those wages and having that attitude... Um, in the club is just not helpful at this time. I'm um, not a really good example for some of the young players either. Um, getting rid of Guendouzi on loan was a very good um, good thing. I, I don't think he can come back back in now. I think the the bridges are burnt, um, and I reckon he'll if he has a good season at Hertha Berlin, someone might go and try and sign him in the summer. Um, we should have got rid of Kalasinac. He, he's done for me at Arsenal. Maybe should have got rid of a couple of centre-backs. Socrates, certainly. I don't, know, I don't even know where he is now. Um, I, I literally don't know where he is. He might be home in Greece. I don't... I, I, we, I think we need to um, We need to put out a missing person. You know, Socrates is missing. Um, you might get some Greek philosophy students having a laugh on that one. 
Um, at right back, I thought Bellerin was a goner, but he seems to be, you know, with his shirt tucked in, he seems to be like Superman and he's doing a good job. Um, don't really get what Joe Willick is, so I don't know why he's at the club. I, people love him. I'm not, I don't see anything outstanding that makes me think that he's even going to get a game now. Um, Torreira obviously left. Sorry, there's, there's just so much that went on. Um, Torreira went on loan to Atletico Madrid. I don't really, you know, what's the point of a loan? At that age, he's not coming back if he's not fancied by a manager who's going to be here for a long time. Um, so I reckon he'll be off permanently. Um, uh, and Ketia, I thought he'd probably stay, but I'm just still not impressed. Lacazette, I thought, would leave. So it's very good to have a player of his quality in the squad still. Um, so yeah, I think a few... Uh, I, I'm surprised we didn't lose another four or five players. But as someone pointed out to me, it's a very... Um, it's going to be very good when we have all these games and, you know, these Europa League games that I reckon we could win with our second team um, to be able to put out fresh squads and have that depth. And I think, especially during this time, if, you know, COVID restrictions mean that you have to play again in quick succession certain games, um, then it will come in handy. Um, in terms of signings and the proper signings, Sabayos alone, I think it just gives a bit of continuity. I don't think he rocks the boat completely, but I think it's good to have that sort of quality in your squad. Um and he can do a job. Um, Gabriel centre back again. You know, he's. We don't really know what the true Gabriel is, but he looks like a uh, like a good uh, like a good find. You know, he seems uh, he's young, seems good in the air, good on the ball, confident. Um, fit seems to just fit in with everyone. Hasn't kind of rocked the boat at all. So I think um, I, I don't know whether he's the ready package yet, but I certainly think having him in and around can only be helpful to everyone. Uh, the Willian signing was, I was excited at the beginning, forgetting about money, that we had a bit of quality. Um, the truth is, since the Fulham game, I haven't seen him do anything. Um, I think he's uh, in the hideout with Socrates um, in his spare time. I just don't know what he's what he's doing. He kind of, he's just, he's got the ball and he's there, but there's there's no end product really it's strange and I know Chelsea fans warned Arsenal fans that that is what Willian does he goes missing um so that really concerns me and, and seeing how good Pepe looked when he came on the other day I'm hoping that it's just sort of been used as a as a push to get the the value out the mo for money out of the 72 million pound player um because if he gets going then I think we've got a player on our hands um and you know you, st you still have a player in Saka who whose potential is, um, seems unbelievable, um, you know, uh, proving me wrong from all my predictions months ago. Um, and Martinelli, obviously, to come. And I think uh, I've left I've got the best till last. Um, we'd heard about this Thomas Partey link throughout the season, and I didn't know much about him, but he kind of, by the sounds of it, was a sort of profile of player that we needed. Um, we all thought we were signing our this creative linchpin. Um, it would have been nice to have someone exciting like that. But when we heard on deadline day that this thing was going through potentially, I think it got me excited. It was like the type of profile player, someone strong, kind of uh, good on the ball, able to win the ball back, box to box. Someone we've needed since the Wenger days. And it sounds like we've got our man. He has an amazing reputation. You know, he's playing in a hard, strong team in Atletico Madrid. Um, he's played in the Champions League. He's been competing for titles. He's won the Europa League. Um, 
I'd be surprised if he didn't fit into the Premier League. I'd be, but, you know, we'll have to see how that one uh, pans out. But I think potentially, despite being 27, probably if he's at the peak of his powers, £45 million pounds or so is, in this market, good value. Um, it was nice to see us do go for someone that wasn't a second choice, you know, or, or in that position, you know, like a Jorginho. It was really nice to see us us do it quite swiftly as well. Um, so I'm really excited about Thomas Party. I think uh, I have this feeling that him and Shaka, there's just kind of, it just, it to me, it just, um, it just um, represents steeliness and, and kind of a bit of fight and, you know, almost a bit of the old Arsenal, the aggression, thinking, oh my God, I do strikers and midfielders thinking, I do not want to come up against Party and Xhaka. Uh, they're going to chop my legs off uh, today, uh, metaphorically speaking. Um, so it's very exciting. And I, I, uh, I wanted to kind of do a little exercise. Uh, I'd say it's, it's not quite a game. I think the game's immediately return, but it's not quite a game, but it's kind of a, you know, based on the transfer window and, and everything that's been going on. And I guess it's hard because of the squad depth in different games. But if, you know, you only had a choice to pick 11 players now, who would be your Spurs lineup? And then maybe I can give a go at uh, my Arsenal lineup. I think, I think my, my first, first 11 would probably be, obviously, the recent goal. Property right back. Regulon left back. I'd probably go Alderweireld and Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Then Hoiberg, Lacelso, Undombele in midfield. Kane, Bale, Son up front. Huge. I, I feel like that's the team that most. But I mean, maybe some disagreements about centre back, but I feel particularly that midfield three and that front three is what most Spurs fans seem to to want to see. Um, whether we'll ever see that those six players all together at the same time due to injury and rotation, I don't know. But that would be my my first choice. Yeah. Interesting you, without um, Dyer in there, but I just, I don't know. I just feel like from an outsider perspective, you know, you go with your strongest team with the positions they're strongest in right now and, and see where it goes. But uh, I guess I don't know whether it will take you conceding a few goals and mistakes for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think Dyer... I think people forget as well how young both Dyer and Sanchez still are relatively, particularly for defenders, because they've been around for so long. And I think he he could be a good defender. But as you say, when you've got someone of Alderweireld's experience and familiarity with the position, it's you, you think you'd go them. But then again, Alderweireld now is getting older and is kind of on the, the decline. You know, he's probably not going to get much better. So you probably do want to kind of get Dyer more experience in that position if he's potentially going to be the the future in in that role but yeah it'll be interesting to watch center back over the course of the season and whether it does then compel us to go back in for another one when the, the january window opens yeah and uh, how about with you for arsenal then yeah i mean goalkeeper unfortunately there's not much of a choice it sounds like it's leno regrettably um there's been a lot of debate people kind of arguing against whether we play a back three, we play a back four. I always like to think in back four terms from tradition. Um, which is a shame, really, because it, you know, it really limits Ainsley Maitland Niles' time. Uh, slightly puts Saka out of favour as well. Uh, we lose kind of that centre back with all these options we have. But I think at the moment, I'm kind of thinking Bellerin and Tierney, full backs, um, keeping David Louise in there for that experience, but 
if he really becomes a liability, probably bringing in a potentially Mari, potentially holding Chambers if he comes back. Then we've got lots of options. Um, but at the moment, I think Louise with Gabrielle are the best options, the kind of uh, young and old as such. And um, uh, it seems to be working so far. I'm really excited about the, the prospect of Shaka and Party if they're both on form. Just that kind of, it sounds like they can, they can both ping a ball forward and they both can tackle and defend. So it's, I think it'd be a scary proposition. Um, you know, El Nene, I'm sure, will get a run out and people are tired and, and Willock as well. But I think those would be my starting midfielders. Um, I have a little problem with up front because I feel like Alabama Yang really is best effective when he's up front alone or in a two rather than this kind of shifting out to the wing. But I also think you can't waste the talent like Lacazette. So I'd kind of say behind a striker, you'd have Pepe on one wing and on the form Pepe, that is. Otherwise, you bring in Willian. Um, Willian in the middle, you know, let him be creative. If he's not... Uh, Cutting it off, bringing Ceballos. Um, Aubameyang on the wing, if he's up front instead of Lacazette, Saka. Um, and up front, Lacazette. So just to reiterate, because there are so many caveats and that's slightly cheating, but Leno, Bellerin, Tierney, Luis Gabriel, Shaka Party, Pepe, Willian, Aubameyang, Laka. And I think that's a pretty good team that I reckon is maybe if you had that one world-class centre-back, like a Van Dyke type signing, um, that and... For me, maybe a goalkeeper, then that is worthy of a top four place on paper or potentially can fight for that. Um, in in real life, I don't know. Um, I hope. It just depends on injuries. And, and, uh, and you know, sometimes these things just have a bit of fate in their own. You know, some one of these teams, like a Leicester season, might just be too good in the context. And uh, if Arsenal don't win it, obviously that's what I'd like to see because that's very exciting. It'd be interesting to see if if those two first 11s were to come up against one another, who would who would come out on top? We might potentially have some very exciting North London derbies this season. I was going to say, when, I'm trying to think. Uh, actually, going on the website now. When the uh, first de- um, it's in December, fifth of December at Tottenham. Yeah, I think it's in the middle of a a mad uh, fixture schedule for us because I'm just checking now, but I'm pretty sure we have like all of the big six. Hmm around the same time with Europa League games in between so yeah we're oh god okay so we've got we've got City at home on the 21st of November then we've got a Europa League game on Thursday then Chelsea away then another Europa League game then Arsenal then another Europa League game and then Palace then Liverpool away and then Leicester wow and then the and then the league game after that is Wolves away oof I mean compared to ours Going from the same timeline, Leeds away, that'll be a tough game. Europa League, Wolves at home, Europa League, Spurs, Europa League, Burnley at home. I mean, they're not, on paper, they're not like games I'm uh, quaking my boots about. So I don't know whether that'll have a factor. But who knows? Because listen, momentum, uh, good momentum can always help. So uh, I don't think you can predict anything on that. And and, uh, speaking of fixtures, I mean, after this irritating international break, which... I don't even think it makes sense because of COVID. I, I don't understand how I'm not allowed to go and lie on a beach without quarantining, but they can go and kick a ball around in the sun. But that, that's another story. Um, how are you feeling about the next few games uh, coming up after that the rest of the month? Well, it's interesting because, yeah, looking, looking at the fixtures after international break, our next four matches in the league, which are 
the matches before that that mad run of form in, in December that I just mentioned are West Ham, Burnley, Brighton and West Brom. Easy peasy. Uh, there there are Europa League games in between most of those, but if you're serious about the top four, you've got to be looking at those four fixtures. West Ham, Burnley, Brighton and West Brom. Uh, yeah, West Brom. Getting confused in West Ham West Brom. You've got to look at those four fixtures and think those have to be four wins out of four if you're serious about finishing in the top four. And particularly with then the fixtures we've got after that with City and Arsenal and Liverpool and everyone in quick succession, it makes it even more important to win those four games and get that momentum that you were talking about. Because if we do win those four games and win the Europa League games in between as well, then we'll be on one hell of a winning streak going into what will probably then be our most difficult part of the season. So, yeah, coming back from this international break is actually going to be quite crucial for us, I think, in terms of where we'll end up this season and, and how high up the table we want to compete. I wonder, for Arsenal, what your kind of fixtures are looking like when you come back and, and how decisive you think it might be. Yeah, just before that, I just want to touch upon you were talking about kind of what happens after international break. And based on the news today that Kieran Tierney um, might miss the City game or is likely to because one of his teammates he came in close contact with contracted COVID. I wonder whether, you know, the fear of this international break is not only am I going to lose my player some injury, but also could my player get a virus and be out? And that that could be a big factor um, in determining some of those games. But um, we have a really hard return back you know City Leicester United Villa which Villa is now a big club uh, a couple of Europas scattered in there um, I'm not so fussed about at the beginning Europa stages interfering I think we'll have a completely different lineup um, but yeah I think those are tough games so by the same vein as, as wanting to win those smaller games on paper you want to win those big games as well or at least make a statement you know Leicester haven't been as effective or as good you want three points United, really, you want three points now. They're there for the taking in this thing, but we never do. Uh, City, you never know what's going to happen. It's either a shock um, or, or, or an obvious. There's uh, never a middle ground. And who knows with Villa? So, I mean, it's it's completely up for grabs. But we've got to, you know, City, Leicester, United, Villa, you've got to get two wins and two draws minimum for me to, to think of even remotely being near that Champions League um, spot and unfortunately, you know, in the good old days, I would have said go on four, four wins on the bounce, but it might not work like that. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be an anxious time as an Arsenal fan. But I think, uh, I, I, I think and I hope that there's a bit of stability now with the, the kind of big transfer window being shut, and it's likely players won't really leave now, unless younger players on loan to uh, Championship clubs. That we will, um, we will uh, have a have a solid um, mid-beginning of the season um, because we're going to need it ahead of a Christmas period that um, if everything's still going ahead, it's going to be hectic and uh, exhausting for everyone involved. I'm just picturing now Jack Grealish turning David Luiz inside out and put, putting it on a plate for Ollie Watkins to smash in another hat-trick in, a, in a, another 7-2 win. I thought you about to say Jack Wilshire. Fancy... Uh, Fancy bringing him across North London for a um, another a little statement signing from Spurs? Um, I don't think so. I think we're we're pretty well stocked in in that position now. I think. Uh, I mean, funnily enough, I saw someone say on Twitter how even though it's West Ham who've let him go, the only club you can imagine him joining on a free transfer is West Ham. 
Yeah. So I'm so not sure true. where where he's going to end up next, but uh, you know, maybe back to Arsenal. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. I, I think Arteta must have played with him, and uh, it's such a shame what happened to him. I mean, everyone has mixed opinions, but I I remember as a young boy watching him come in. I watched a preseason game when he was 16, and uh, no one knew of him. And as soon as I saw him, I ran to my dad and said, Jack Wilshire, he's the next best thing. And he was. And God knows what happened. And it's really makes me really sad when I think about it. And now, you know, where do you go from there? I mean, I don't think he's at that stage yet where he's going for a championship team. But may, nevertheless, maybe if he gets a bit of fitness and he gets into a championship team and plays well that gets promoted, he might, you know, have a little bit left. But I think it might just be one of those players like we've seen in so many history um, lessons of players that could have been, you know, the Ledley Kings of the world. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a cautionary tale for the likes of uh, Deli Alley in particular. Absolutely. Absolutely. Time shall see. If, if all else fails, there might be some mascot jobs available. Exactly. I'll, uh, I'll get the application in. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy to, I'm happy to, get in that uniform I think uh, it looks like pretty good PPE I think we could all do with some of that it'll be either you or Socrates it's between the two of you for the new next Gunasaurus absolutely I think uh, I think whilst he has the the knowledge of inside the organization I can bring a, a different perspective of a different discipline so I'll uh, I'll start freshening up the CV